Welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. We are standing face-to-face with Jesus through this sermon series. Could you imagine? Are you ready to stand face-to-face? We might give pause for a moment, might check how we look, check the condition of our hearts and our minds. Amen? But we want to encounter the living Lord. So through these stories that comes through our gospel we call Luke, we're going to stand face-to-face and see where people are pushed to change and to grow and to learn. Can you think of one story with Jesus where there wasn't an invitation to change, grow, or learn? Jesus will encounter us and not leave us the same, or at least extend the invitation. We are all learning and growing and changing every single day. We may not be aware of it, but we are. And we need to be on guard. We need to be mindful. More importantly, we need to be prayerful about how it is we are learning and growing and changing to think about who it is that's guiding us along that path. Some people will say they are doing things for God, but as we discussed in our Exodus class yesterday, some people miscarry, misuse the name of God. We have agency in the process of learning and growing. We have choices to make. We have hearts and minds that God gave us. Best of all, we have the church to help us. What a praise. So collectively together, as one side by side, hand in hand, we can be guided by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Are we ready to stand face to face with Jesus? Well, let me give you some context for our passage, right? Your favorite part when Pastor Joe gives you all the context. We read about Zacchaeus in chapter 19. We're going to be a whole chapter and a half further into the book today. So between then and now, this is what has happened. Jesus had passed through Jericho, and then he entered Jerusalem triumphantly, on what we celebrate Palm Sunday. Then he wept over Jerusalem because they were on a path to war and violence and ultimately their doom. So he lifts that up. He weeps knowing they probably aren't going to turn. They probably aren't going to change course. And then he goes in and cleanses the temple in a symbolic act like the Maccabees a century and a half before when they had pushed out the Assyrians, they went and cleansed the temple and removed all the idols And Jesus goes in to cleanse the temple of some things that did not belong. So in chapter 20, some people come to him to ask some questions about this. Apparently, if you go in and mess with things and traditions, people have questions. And so he's approached by the chief priests. They came and questioned, where do you get your authority to say and do these things? He responds with a parable about the the tenant and the, the guy who's coming to the tenants and They kill off everyone he sends to collect what's owed, and he sends the son, and they kill him. You can see he's telling the story of himself. And then the scribes come, the Bible experts, the lawyers. They come and they question him about whether they should pay taxes to Caesar, trying to trick him. And Jesus just weaves right around the trap and responds. And then today, the Sadducees come, and they ask a question about resurrection. So here's the rub. Sadducees don't believe in resurrection. They don't believe in it. They think it's silly. So why are they asking questions about it? What a great question. I'm glad you asked. They certainly weren't seeking to stand face-to-face with Jesus to accept any sort of invitation to learn or change or grow. 
More likely, they are seeking to put him down for his teaching on resurrection and all the things he's saying about the coming kingdom of God. So who are the Sadducees? Let's start there before we read this encounter. Sadducees were one of the many sects of Judaism of the day. You probably know the Pharisee sect, those who followed the Leviticus Holiness Code and taught others to do so by going around to synagogues and teaching it. And they like to hold people accountable to it, too. That's a lot of the stories we have. You probably know about the Zealots. They were among many groups similar to them that thought that the only way the kingdom of God is going to be established is if they pick up swords, they follow a Messiah who will lead them into battle, and they will wipe them out, and that's how they'll be a great kingdom. You may or may not know about the Essenes, those who believed that all organized religion at the time had been corrupted to the point where they left the city and went out into the wilderness next to the Dead Sea, and they transcribed scripture, waiting for a great teacher to come to lead them and purify everything. And now the Sadducees. They were the folks who ran the temple and they supplied leadership in the political and social sphere. So they were very rich. They were very powerful. Their emphasis was on knowing Torah, the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That was the only scripture to them. They believed in honor and legacy. And so it was about accruing great wealth and power and then having your kids pass that on. So you wanted lots of kids to carry your name into the future because they don't believe in resurrection. The only way to last is to build a legacy. So obey the Torah, make a name for yourselves, and have children. So knowing where we are in the story and the characters we're about to meet, let's now encounter the face-to-face meeting with the Sadducees and Jesus. Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first married a woman and died childless. Then the second and the third married her. And so, in the same way, all seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had married her. Jesus said to them, Those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die anymore because they are like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is God, not of the dead, but of the living, for to him all of them are alive. The word of God in scripture, the word of God among us, the word of God within us. Thanks Thanks be be to to God. God. You may or may not know my call story. It was only years later that I can look back and go, of course, that was my call story, because in the moment you're not sure. But I was 28, and Lauren and I had uh, received an invitation or I was offered a job as a full-time youth director. I had planned to be a firefighter and I'd been working toward that for years. 
But Lauren and I, we knew this was a calling. So I accepted, but they told me you can't be a firefighter. And they also told me, we're gonna send you back to school, you need to finish your undergraduate degree, and you're gonna do it in youth ministry. Now I said yes, because I was being offered the job, but I was also kind of insulted. What do I need to learn? Seriously, come on. I was 28, I knew everything. What are you laughing for? <laughs> Especially with faith, I have the scripture, what else do you need? But they wanted me to, and in the middle of a recession in 2008, I wasn't about to jeopardize the job. I said, okay, I'll go, and I did. So I enrolled at the University of Indianapolis, started classes begrudgingly. My second semester was my first religion course, New Testament, and the very first class featured the study of the New Testament overall, and I was, I was told things that I had never even imagined, things that were hard to hear. The gentleman who sat next to me, we kind of identified ourselves as the only Christians there who were not 22 or younger. We sat next to each other, and at points he'd lean over again, can you believe this? And I'd say, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. And the more the class went on, the more I learned there's this whole world of learning I had no idea. And I became obsessed with it, mildly obsessed. Well, not mildly, very obsessed. By the end, I wanted to go, well, I... I concentrated on five different things in the undergraduate program, as many as I could find, and then I wanted to go to seminary, not because I had any interest in being a pastor, but because I wanted to learn more. People think I'm crazy. God was prepping me all along. I can see that now. My hunger remains. It's never been satisfied. I still want to learn. I want to grow. I want to read. I want to soak it up. And the main thing I came to know through all this education is how much I don't know. I learned what a joy it is to not only realize how much you don't know, but to be comfortable saying, I don't know. Nothing's more freeing than being 100% comfortable with saying, I don't know, but let's learn together. It's not on any of us to know it all, is it? That's not even the point. More than learning good answers, I've been taught how to ask good questions. Originally, I typed in my manuscript the right questions, but that, come on, do I still think I'm uh, knowing all that there is to know? Those of you who have studied alongside of me at different times in our time together, I hope you've realized how much I like to ask questions and how rarely I will give a hard and fast answer, because there are so few clear answers. Some have joined me in embracing asking good questions, and some have even found joy in saying, I don't know, but I can't wait to learn. Asking questions is more about your motivation and asking them. That's something I've learned. Am I wanting to learn when I ask the question, or am I trying to say something when I ask the question? Do my questions have assumptions built in that have already made it harder for me to learn? Am I playing a game with my questions? Am I kind of, I call it a question grenade. You just kind of toss it out there and let it do its work, right? Am I testing the person I'm asking? Is that why I'm asking questions? Do I ask questions to things I already know the answers to? In which case, why am I asking? These are things to be mindful of when we ask questions, when we are asked questions, especially if we seek to stand face to face with Jesus. Because like these groups, these sects who ask him questions, there's more going on here. Jesus knows it. So why did the Sadducees ask about something of which they don't believe? If we consider the exaggerated silliness to their question, seven brothers, all marrying one woman, oh, the poor woman, 
I mean, what a silly question. But to them, resurrection is silly. They're all about passing out name through legacy. So the question of marriage, it's a valid question to them. Who gets to continue trying to have children to pass on their name? They weren't asking a real question. They were expressing their belief. But why? Why are they even there? Because they, they see nothing of resurrection in the Torah. The first five books, that's all they look at. There's nothing there, they seem, or they think. Seems ridiculous. Furthermore, their entire lives and goals and ambitions are built on a life that doesn't include resurrection. If your life's about making a name for yourself, accruing power and wealth and influence to build a legacy, then resurrection doesn't really offer you much, does it? If what you do now matters way later, it changes things. So how does Jesus respond to their making fun? He takes them seriously. I love it. He takes them seriously. He answers their question. He lifts up a wonderful message, making three points. One, resurrection life does not involve marriage. It doesn't involve marriage. In fact, he says it doesn't involve property at all. Property because a woman is given in marriage to take on a new name and then to produce children. That's the point. And Jesus says, not in eternity. That is not how it works. She is like an angel, a child of God, a child of resurrection, belonging to no one anymore. And then Jesus really drives it home when he answers the question they should have asked. He references evidence of resurrection in the Torah. Not only the Torah, but Moses himself in the call story of Exodus 3, quoting God, lifting up that he's still the God, or that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who had all died, but Jesus points out, God is not the God of the dead. God is the God of the living. They are still alive to God. You imagine the Sadducees' faces when he lifts up evidence, when he gives this answer, responds to them seriously. It says, the next line says, the leaders no longer dared ask him any questions because he might just give them an answer and an invitation to grow and change. Apparently, they aren't interested in that. What about us? Are we interested in growing and changing? We might be conditionally, as long as I'm okay with the growth and change, right? Do we have questions that we are asking right now? Have we taken time to ask questions about our questions? Do we want to know what assumptions we have built in? Because we all have them built in, amen? Are we willing to confront the motivation for the questions that we ask? Because Jesus will give you serious answers and then help you find the question you should have asked. What a joy. Or what about those who ask questions of us? The world is asking the church questions. Amen? Lord knows people are asking the United Methodist Church questions. Maybe some of those questions are to test us. Maybe some of those questions have assumptions built in. Maybe they're making fun of us. If the Sadducees would have set aside the arrogance they had, which they had much of it, and the resentfulness of this idea of resurrection, they might have realized that they were standing face to face with the God they seek the presence of. They missed it. Now, maybe Jesus planted some seeds anyway in their hearts, even though they weren't open to resurrection. Maybe some seeds got in there anyway. Maybe they walked away pondering or asking the one next to him. Is that what God said in Exodus 3? It couldn't, it couldn't mean, but it. 
Jesus didn't play their game and instead responded with grace and truth. That's what our call is, to respond with grace and truth. Jesus didn't need to know they were convinced. He didn't need to know that they acknowledged he was right. Jesus plants seeds in our minds and in our hearts and then leaves it up to us if we're going to make room for them to grow. Some seeds will take root and some won't. That's part of it. That's just part of it. What Jesus made sure to do was not get in the way of the growth. And by that I mean he didn't respond with arrogance or resentfulness. He didn't respond to put them down. Because if he had, their defenses would have gone up and there's no way any seeds would have gotten through. Jesus gracefully, truthfully responded. We live in a time where we present puzzles to one another. They're presented to us all the time. If you want to really enjoy puzzles, then just turn on a news station, right? Or they're asking questions that aren't really questions. Let's not play the games as the church. Let's be the one group that's honest, graceful, truthful. Let us seek face-to-face encounters with Jesus in our prayer. Let us ask questions not to bolster our own status, but to seek true understanding. Let us spend some actual time presenting our questions in such a way that we can ask questions about our questions. And let's bring our questions to the body. Let's do that in our classes. That's why we have them. Let's come together in small groups and bring our serious questions that we have and present them to the group and maybe talk about the questions. Let's be humble and open and honest and bold. It takes boldness to be vulnerable, to ask what it is you've been wanting to ask. Let's consider the questions behind our questions. Let's consider the assumptions behind them too. And when people in the world ask questions that aren't really questions, take them seriously. Take them seriously. Meet them where they are. Meet them in the depth of their assumption. Plant seeds. Find joy in the process. Trust that the Holy Spirit will work with them if they open themselves up to grow and change. Don't let yourself get in the way by getting swept up in the emotion or the desire to look right or win, so to speak, because when we win, we actually lose. Be like Jesus, find joy in the journey of discipleship and asking questions because the invitation to follow him is extended to every one of us every single day. Amen? So when we go from this place, go to our class, go to work, go down the street, go wherever it is we go, live a life of accepting the invitation at every opportunity in such a way that others see a life worth following. Amen? Amen. We thank you for joining us today, and it is our hope that you have experienced the blessing of God through our time together. If you'd like to know more about our church community and its ministries, visit our website at sellersburgumc.com.